welcome to the Hungry Authors Podcast. A hungry author is someone who is, quite simply, hungry for it. They're willing to do what it takes to achieve their writing dreams. If that resonates, you're in the right place. I'm Ariel. And I'm Liz. We're two book coaches, editors, and writers here to help you get there. We interview experts and chat about all things publishing and writing to educate and build a community of successful writers, whatever that means to you. Welcome. Let's get started. Hey, Hungry Authors, we are so excited here to have Krista Hardin with us. So before we get started with Krista, I just want to share how much Krista's work has meant to me because Krista and I have known each other for a few years now, and Krista was actually my marriage coach, and her work on the Enneagram in marriage has just made such a huge difference for me personally. So this is a very like personal feeling episode and interview today, but also we're going to talk about all the book stuff. So you're going to hear what it's like for her from her perspective. Um, but I did just want to say, you know, this is a, this is a very special interview for me. So Krista, please introduce yourself and, and tell our listeners more about you. Thank you guys so much. That is just beautiful that you shared that. I did not know you're going to share that and it warms my heart and uh, just brings me into all the fall feels. So thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I love this podcast and it allows me to uh, spend some time in a different area than just the counseling coaching. And I have been doing that for over two decades now. And so I love that work. I've been doing it actually far longer. If you consider I'm in my 40s, and I started as a little girl with my own parents, <laughs> toxic as that maybe is. And now I couple, I counsel and coach couples from just about everywhere and love that so much. I love incorporating the Enneagram. And of course, as every counselor coach knows, probably post COVID, you start to get really busy and have to feel out how you can start pivoting and I had already written some books as a self-published author for my clients through Create Space Amazon in the years past just to give us a better rhythm and way of uh, allowing our work to be systemic and just have some good systems for them. But once I started to see how big the Enneagram was impacting and had started the podcast, I realized I wanted to put the the systems all together with Enneagram so that couples could have a one-stop shop resource and that's how the idea for the book was born. So thank you for asking. Okay. So for those who do not know, I think most of our listeners probably do know the Enneagram and we've actually mentioned it um, a couple times before in season one, but if anyone doesn't know the Enneagram, can you give us just the high level, quick, quick version? Absolutely. The Enneagram is a great system for helping you to uncover what your deepest fears and your greatest strengths are. And it's similar to the Myers-Briggs in that you really do end up with a unique archetype, but it allows you to actually go diving deeper into some of your psychological defense mechanisms and even layers with your spouse and uh, ways you can become more expansive. So there's a lot to the Enneagram and it's a great tool for somebody who really wants to dig in and dive deep into their personal work. I was just listening to you talk about that. And so I am very um, familiar with the Enneagram. I am a five, if that means something to the people out there, if you know Enneagram numbers. Um, but as you were talking, my actual reaction when you're like, 
you know, it helps you dig into your like strengths and weaknesses. And I was like, I don't know if I want to know what those are. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's so cool, but it gets like deep, right? I mean, you have to be ready. (laughs) Super deep. Do the work. Yeah. You really do. That's a really good point. And I feel like that it it can be very heavy hitting if people don't keep it at least a little bit light and remember that they have uh, the ability to be expansive and to nuance, but also to hold it with the lightness of I'm not just one type. This is maybe my main strength and area for growth, but, and notice I said area for growth (laughs) instead of weakness this time. You're like, okay, I'm triggered Liz. Let's back up. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And some listeners. No, Ariel and I are on book deadline for everyone listening. We're just like, just, it's a little bit of an emotional week in general. I get it. And that is so funny because anyone who's writing, everyone who's listening gets that. Like the triggers are just lit, right? (laughs) Oh yes, for sure. So the, the the word Enneagram means like this nine-sided figure and there's, you know, nine different personality types in the Enneagram and you are a seven, which I think you're okay with me sharing because you yeah. share it all the time on your podcast. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, but I would really love to know, you know, how did you see like your sevenness showing up in the writing process. So maybe start by like sharing kind of some, some qualities of, of Enneagram sevens and then how you kind of saw that showing up for yourself in in your writing. Oh, yes. Well, for anyone who struggles with focus, I think it's so relatable because sevens like to do. They're kinetic movers. And so thinking about digging into writing as a seven could feel very daunting or strange even just in the sense of like, why would a seven even think that sitting down to write would be good? But a lot of people might not know sevens are thinkers and have a lot of ideas and really enjoy synthesizing and creating these systems. And so when we can invite ourselves into some healthy self-soothing practices, we really enjoy writing generally and doing our art, whatever it is. So I think that that's how I have found my rhythms is finding myself soothing, making sure like I get, if I have a lot of energy that day, which I do most days, getting some fitness in. And then also, even though I love the Pomodoro types of techniques my type nine daughter uses and recommends, she really likes to follow a 25 minute writing, five minute rest break. And I really, and that's technically how it is. I usually started and still start when I'm going into a writing streak or some tiger time to really bear down and do a few hours worth. I like to do five minutes, just five minute timer, five minute timer, five minute. For me, that's more doable. And anyone who struggles with such as, you know, like I said, focus or has ADHD symptoms or ADD, I think can relate to these shorter bursts. And then if you're in it, you're in it. You can turn on the timer again. You might even forget about the timer, but just starting out with 25 minutes can seem very daunting. So I've really invited myself into that grace of like you, even, even if I would have had to do a 60 second timer, I never did, but had I done that, it probably would have been helpful. Oh my goodness. That's so interesting. It's just fascinating to hear kind of how, you know, your writing routines and everything are so different. Um, you know, Liz and I obviously have been working on our book and I've learned a lot about my own writing routines and 
I feel like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm the opposite and I'm an Enneagram nine. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, my writing routine is like, I feel like I need a wide open space and I need like, I need like four hours <laughs> to, of just like yeah. nonstop writing to like really soak in everything and like sink in it for a while. Mm-hmm. And it's just so interesting to see, you know, and, and that's the cool part too, of our, you know, creative abilities as different numbers, um, to just see what works for different people. So true. And I would just quickly add that that personality typing really does help you when you're trying to figure out how you best write. It doesn't just work for marriages or for personal growth or the ways we can sort of be hard on ourselves, but it really does help us sometimes to nuance and say like, what would be maybe the best ways? And like you said, and I've heard you share in other podcasts, both of you guys have found your rhythms partly because you know yourselves, right? Yeah, Um, Tell us a little bit about building your social media platform. Did you start that endeavor before you had a book deal and or because you got a book deal? Like how did social media and building a platform sort of factor into your publishing timeline? I wanted to start a social media account dedicated to Enneagram and marriage because I saw myself making courses or doing something on the wider scale when I started to top out with clients. And so just like that teacher, journalist, anybody who's sort of like, how do I sort of move from this overly loaded nine to five space and into something creative that is more enjoyable where I still get to use my gifts. I just thought social media would be a good place to start that, to get a little community going. So I first decided to specialize in the Enneagram and marriage instead of another couple of topics I was toying around with. And I asked myself that question of what do people know you for in your community? And it was definitely the Enneagram and marriage. So then I just started social media in that vein And then I started to want to expand a bit broader and I was looking at how I could get a wider audience. And then I started my podcast from there, realizing that I would not be able to reach more people just on one little, I almost feel like for a type seven, especially like Instagram, I always think of it as locking us into little squares. Um, We call it fandom zoning in my house because we love, um, Smallville and Superman analogies. So I'm just like to the kids, I'm like, I phantom zoned your pictures, you know, and they know what that means. Like they're locked into my Instagram forever. And so I'm like, this is locked in. I need to be like more mobile, more accessible, and even more freedom for me felt like, let's try some other things. So podcasts really fit. And that's how I decided to grow it just because it fit me and it gave, as we all know, Instagram is curated. It's the, you know, the wine stem versus the red solo cup of TikTok. And it was really nice. And I still like Instagram, but I don't want to always have to be so curated. I want to be a bit more free, a bit more myself. And I feel like podcasting has been a great part of that for anyone who wants to build their platform. You've got to find what works for you. Yeah. And then your book deal came about after that, um, which I know um, I had the uh, honor of kind of helping you with that part of the journey too. Um, you know, you asked me because we were working together and you asked like, Hey, do you know any literary agents or any contacts that might be good for me? And so I was, you know, I felt really honored to play a small role in, um, in that and connecting you with um, the person who ended up being your literary agent, which was cool. 
Yes, that was so awesome because I really had been sitting on, I'm not going to say dead, but it felt like a dead weight with my book being written in many ways in the first edition, basically when you haven't really fully edited it yet. And it was waiting for somebody to breathe life into it. And sometimes as we know, we can get so lost in where we're at that you might have a book or two, even sitting around, which you're like, I'm just, it's unprocessed. I know I have a few like that actually. And this one was, like I said, the most needed, like this is needed. My clients right now need this book. Like, what are you doing? Krista sitting on it. Well, I was sitting on it with somebody who was looking, a publisher friend who's an awesome person, but they were sitting with it for a long, long, long time. And I remember like working with you as your coach. And I'm like, this is her field. She probably has some connections. And I was like, I want to honor you and not, you know, use any of your time. So thank you for sharing those names with me because you really like just that burst of refreshment of the other, the other Mm -hmm. to come into our art and say like, Hey, your work matters and don't let this sit like that mattered to me, even as a seven, who's a go-getter. Cause I already had it sitting somewhere for a really long time. And it really put that fire under me when you were just literally just asking. So you have no idea how much it means to your friends when you just ask about their projects. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I love too that, you know, to some people kind of looking at your, your platform and kind of your profile and social media and your podcast they might think and and see, oh, it seems like this has all kind of come about in the last few years, but really for you, I mean, this has been a years long journey and you've been developing the content for, I mean, I want to say like well over a decade, like you've been thinking so deeply about all of these things and even just doing like all of the mental work so that when you launched your social media platform and your podcast, and then the book, you were ready to go and you had so much to say. And I think that's why it's grown so quickly too, is because I think just from the get-go immediately, people could just tell that you had so many answers and you had already been through so much and you had, you kind of had already kind of worked through a lot of the problems that they had. And so you were able to just immediately meet people where they were at and Mm -hmm. say, look, you know, let me, let me help you in these ways. And like you said, you know, you know, your clients have just been waiting for this for a long time. And Mm -hmm. that's, you know, that's kind of the ideal situation for so many authors, I think is you want to do kind of all of that deep work ahead of time. I think Mm -hmm. we place so much focus on the platform building without realizing all of the deep thinking work that you do ahead of time is actually going to, you know, exponentially make your Mm -hmm. platform building so much easier. Oh my goodness. Cause yes, you're not left wondering what do I have to post about? You're like, I've researched. I continue to research. I love this topic. I'm in it and through it. So there's a lot to share, but you do have to, and I want to really share this with everybody. You have to go for the one and not the group because you have to realize it's for the love of the game too and writing. And I've heard you guys talk about that. Like you have to really love uh, what you do and have a heart for it because not everyone's going to like it. And if you don't care at all about it and you're just doing it to please people or to get numbers, it's just going to be so unsatisfying. You're always going to have high levels of cortisol spiking through your body and you're not going to ever have a sense of rest and satisfaction. And I think that can come for me. It comes when I make small little posts and um, just simple things that are easy and one or two people like them. I'm like, oh, 
my true friends showed up for me. That feels so much better to me than 4,000 people liking a post. For some reason, I think it's just being known and knowing ourselves feels really good in this process, which can feel so murky and overwhelming. Yeah, totally. Um, I want to ask you about something that you probably didn't do on purpose because it was just naturally your passion and part of your practice, but um, it uh, occurs to me that you kind of did something that we talk about a lot and are writing about right now in our book when it comes to finding your big idea and finding your unique perspective on it and your unique angle like it's not just enough to write about a topic or even a popular topic like marriage or like the enneagram but you have to have um a point of view on it a uh, you know a, a unique angle like we say or your unique angle in your case might be combining these two ideas like there's a lot on the enneagram out there but you specialize in applying it to marriage so how did like how do you think about that? Again, I'm assuming you came to that probably organically and I don't, you didn't like go necessarily looking for a book idea about it, but like, how did the Enneagram become a part of your practice? And then when did you realize that that was like a kind of a unique, cool combination that not a ton of people are doing? Oh, that is a great question, Liz. And I feel like it's so important for people listening mm -hmm. to do that because it is everything in terms of, like we said, finding your own joy in it, but also where you can find community that is unique and the market is so saturated for everything. So how I came about it was when I started to see this tool rise up above all the others, I mean, putting years into psychological practices and thousands of dollars spending uh, my, my own money time, my own clients money and time on these extensive reports and then finding a tool that could really highlight what's going wrong because that's why people come to see me. Let's face it. You know, people don't come to see me when they're like, everything's perfect. Just wanted to brag to you. Like that's a very rare client. And uh, I will be honest, you know, doing a book gives you a little bit of that breath work to be able to say, okay, they have the book. If I can't see them as a couple, which happens sometimes, not a good fit, or it's a very volatile couple, you still have something to offer them. So it's like your peace offering. Even the first couple I tried uh, the system with was sort of a reason for writing the book because they were a nine, three couple and they were so unhealthy and we barely could get the peacemaker wife to come in. And the type three husband had called me in desperation and said, like, I'm used to achieving, I'm used to, uh, you know, getting what I want and need. And now I have the one thing I want and need is literally exiting my life. And so we really had to embrace like, what are what are we going to do to solve this problem that's so big and looming? And I had just started to get into the Enneagram work and we tried it out. And I said to them, you guys are like my guinea pig couple with this, with this, but it's so pivotal. It's been so huge in my marriage. Would you mind? And I was just full disclosure. So sometimes you have to do that. Like, will you be my first research subject? Will you let me interview you qualitatively, whatever it's going to take? And they were so open and ready. And we delved in and it brought such healing of trauma. It really opened up wounds that they didn't even know they had. And it was like, you know, we did life-giving work together. Then they got Enneagram books. Then they were like giving ideas to me. And it was like, that has happened with a lot of my clients. They get more expansive and healthy and you just can't help it. You want to make the world a better place as you get healthier. So I feel like the book or your, your product, your project grows out of 
the joy that comes through it. And now you have to keep sharing it. It's like, I don't know if you guys have felt this about your wonderful book coming up, but it's like, you know, you have something good and now you have to share it. And there's almost an obligation. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, we, you know, we teach workshops and online masterclasses and I just a couple nights ago, I was teaching a memoir uh, workshop in person and it was so cool to be able to just kind of tell them about all of the thinking and all of the, you know, frameworks and everything that Liz and I have come up with and just seeing the impact that it had. I mean, these people walked into this workshop, not knowing each other. And at the end of it, they were all giving each other hugs and exchanging contact information and wanting to, you know, stay in touch with me and with each other. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, I cannot wait to share more of this in such a bigger way through our book. So yes, I, I so see that. I'm so glad. Yes. It's so cool. Yeah. You guys are helping all of us. (laughs) Well, and part of your book too, that, and and a part of your unique angle too, is um, the idea of the Enneagram glow. So you talk a lot on your podcast um, and you have all these amazing glow guides for each kind of you all 48, right? It's 48. I'm 45, but 45, yeah. yeah, 45 pairings. So all nine numbers, you know, could be in a relationship with any of the other numbers. <laughs> and so, you know, for each of those possible pairings, you've created these incredibly helpful guides. You know, my husband and I are an eight, nine couple. And so like, we've looked at your, um, eight, nine glow guide and it's just been really helpful. And I know that's a big part of the book too, that you have coming out tomorrow, actually. Yeah, At the time of so- this recording, it's it'll be tomorrow. Oh, I'm so excited. Thank you. And yes, yes, every single pairing, we want to make sure every couple is helped because I know that at the beginning of a relationship, the glow is you're very shiny, you're very new together. That honeymoon season, it might have just lasted through some dating years, but wherever it is, it's good at the beginning or you wouldn't have found one another through this gaze of attraction and and light that you knew you each cast. And then, of course, after a time, that light fades. And, you know, we have seasons and we have even in a 24 hour cycle day and night, and that's so normal, but I feel like, and I know this actually in marriage, people don't expect that they don't see it coming. They see themselves as the anomaly. It'll never happen to me. And so I just want to help to be a bit preemptive to say if it does and when it does, don't worry, you're going to be okay. You can get through this darkness, but let me give you a bit of a roadmap for how I've helped other couples with this or researched other couples with this. And the social media has been great for that. As I'm sure you guys know, to just ask people the hard questions and do the surveys. And I've partnered with others who have been able to do that even bigger ways. And so it's been neat to be able to say, okay, here we go. Here are the ways you fly together. Here are the ways you soar. Ultimately the way you cast your light together in that Enneagram glow. And And then here are the ways we want to particularly let you know, if you hit the shadows like this, you're not alone. And here's the way out. So it's not going to be easy. I thought when I first started doing therapy and coaching that I literally thought because I had the tools that it would be an easy journey, but it's absolutely not. You still have to walk through it, even if you have a roadmap, but I will tell you, it's a lot better if you have a roadmap, then you know what to do. So Ariel and I are married to other people but we do have a business marriage mm-hmm. this so is true tell us what it's like to have a seven five <laughs> partnership and how you mean we a might, nine what? five 
nine, nine five. five. Yeah, yeah, you're the seven. You're the nine. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe number one is know your partner's number. <laughs> um, what's true? We like... should probably get the nine five glow guide. No, what's the nine? I'm gonna five... give you that. Sorry. Partnership, oh like how do we? How can we help each other? How do we usually interact? Yeah, speak mm. freely. We, we can oh. take it. Oh my gosh, I love that and. I would really, I'm giving you your nine, five glow guide. Absolutely. Um, and read that part of the book too. Cause I have the mini treatment plan for you guys. <laughs> um, just as every other pairing. And my, my daughter says she and her sister have a sister glow. So we love that concept of just relate friends having that glow together too. Um, and so when you have that in a work dynamic or any dynamic, the nine, five are both withdrawing types. And so there's a lot of healthy boundaries that are going to come when each of you knows you're not going to have to be the full measure for each other. It's not quite as codependent as some pairings in that way, uh, even on the hardest of days. Now, because the nine can merge, sometimes that's going to be something that the nine has to watch for. Like, is this my opinion or I'm just taking, Maybe I'm just taking Liz's opinion sometimes when I really need some time to sit with what I'm really feeling. And um, I know my daughter who's a nine says she even dances like the people around her sometimes. And so you have to watch for the merging. Um, but also in that five space, you have to watch for when your feelings may come up of inadequacies of not going farther away into retreat and into yourself and maybe giving up on some areas that were dreams. And you're like, there's, these are going to be too hard. I have too many questions about these. There's not enough certainty um, to be able to just come back to some healthy doing and gut instinct. Let's just go. Let's stop asking all the questions. And the cool thing is Ariel's type can really help with that because she's really good at that. She's a gut type. And so she can say, let's go um, when she's alive and awake and alert, which of course, that's a whole other issue of her personal growth story as a nine. Um, and then lastly, I'll just share as a five, I think that would be really helpful uh, that you know that you also, Liz, give to her that sense of hey, I'm not looking for you to merge and I really value you and your ideas. And I think that's something fives are all about is innovating and giving space for others' creative ideas. So I just think there's so much beauty between your pairing. Yeah. Uh, and I feel like, you know, Liz and I, we're in the we're in the thick of it right now with our editing. And actually this morning, Liz, I hope it's okay if I share this story, but Liz sent me a, a Voxer message this morning and was like, hey, I have this idea. I think we should do... Um, this one example throughout the entire book. And I, I left her on red for a few hours yeah. <laughs> because I was like, I, I felt myself at first being like, okay, yep, I'll do that. Like we should, we can make that happen. Okay. You know, all right. Even though like, so when I, I felt myself tempted to merge and be like, mm. you know, we'll go with that. Mm -hmm. And I, kind of knew that I saw that coming and I was like, let me wait a few hours and see how I feel about it in a few hours. And so I waited and I was thinking about it more. And I was like, I think if I'm being really honest, I don't want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> and so I sent her a Voxer message back. And that's part of the thing is I think, you know, Liz and I, we've been working together long enough now and we have an honest enough relationship yeah. that I do feel the freedom mm. to say, you know what? I, I don't actually want to do that you know, and I, I think you've got a good point and maybe we can address, you know, that issue you're trying to solve for in another way, but mm -hmm. the way that you proposed, you know, it was actually going to feel like a lot more stress to me. And so I was able to voice that. So I think that's to me, I also see that as like, you've been able to create a safe space for me to be honest with you in that way. 
Good. Yeah. And of course, I didn't think anything of it. I was like, cool. That's <laughs> right. To me, it was a big deal. <laughs> right. Right. Because you're yeah, so used it's to so interesting to hear you talk about it, too, because I was like, oh, yeah, that's fine. I mean, we could just do it in part one if we want or not at all. I mean, whatever. Like, yes, which is so sweet because she really does care. She's like, I just. Yeah. Seriously. I'm sorry. Yep. I don't you don't have to stress out about it. Yes. It's, like not, it's not a big deal. It was, it was so off the cuff too. You know what I mean? And it yeah. was like, yep. but yeah. Mm-hmm. But you make each other better because she's out there with that really healthy gut and you're out there to be like, Hey girl, share what you've got. I want to see it and we'll yeah. hack it together. We'll systematize this. And so it's a beautiful pairing and I'm glad you're friends. And there's so many more nuances we could riff off of, but we'll just, I'll let you ask me if you want more tips on that as you go along on your book process. I love it. <laughs> Yeah. Well, tell us more about kind of what, what the publishing process has been like for you so far, because you had also, like you said, you have self-published before. So I think that's a lot of, you know, that there's a lot of authors who are very curious about what is the transition like from self-publishing to traditional publishing? I know I just recently was asked by someone, is it going to hurt my chances of traditional publishing if I've self-published in the past? And of course I was said, no, not at all. Um, but you know, how did you think about that transition? I really enjoyed having the seasons for self-publishing because I really didn't have more bandwidth to do bigger, greater leaps with social media and doing things the way that I thought that I would need to, um, which I've come to learn. Yes, you do need to do a lot when you're with a publisher, because what I'm saying about that is you're with them. And it's like when you're with a teammate, just as you guys just explained, you have to do a lot to make sure the team is thriving. And that's how I am. I'm a caring person. I know you guys are too. And we don't want to let people down. If you're a responsible, good human, you're like, if I make an like an agreement with somebody to do something, I'm going to do it really well. And so I did not have the bandwidth to do that when I was doing my own book. I wanted to do a good job for me and my clients. And that was a very small community. And if my clients were like, um, I don't like this book, I was like, cool. What else do you want to do? You know, like I'm fascinated by that. Let's talk about that in our therapy sessions. Um, but that was as far as it went. And now it's like, there's a publisher who's also got something writing on that. They've invested time and money into me and passion of their own by picking my project outside of others. So I think you have to be ready for that and willing to go all the way if you're going to go with a traditional publisher. And by all the way, absolutely set the boundaries you need to. I'm a mom who is very invested in my kids, maybe helicopter a bit at times, but (laughs) they are priority. So I said that on my first meeting with my publisher and I got my agent. Um, Ariel was kind enough to share her list with me. I found one that I thought would be a fit. It was a fit. And I really had a great conversation. My agent said, I really like for you to um, tell me if you're here for more than one book. Because sometimes agents also need to say, is this person a writer who had a dream to write one book and that's it? Or are they a writer who really enjoys and, and feels like they can't stop writing, which was how... I was. And so I felt like that conversation needed to be had. Then I had to share with the publisher about my family, having those boundaries. And then when they said, sure, I knew I'm still going to give you probably more than I told you I was going to give you. But now, you know, when I have to pull away from my family, it's also going to be received well, which I didn't even have to do, by the way, during the whole process, the boundaries that my publisher had asked me to write within were doable. 
And so I didn't ever come to a place where I had to ask for more time. And I know that does happen sometimes, but I just, it was a nice fit. Maybe they gave me some grace because they knew that too. Yeah. I like that a lot. And I've actually been thinking in my own work and, you know, when I bring on a new client, having some kind, I mean, we all have like sort of an onboarding process, but having that involves something around like that, like what you said, like not just, you know, next steps and you know, whatever the official stuff, I guess, but something more along the lines. Cause I'm as a five, I like boundaries a lot too. And expectations. Um, and something like, yeah, I have two small children. They will mess things up sometimes. (laughs) Like, you know, there, I will have to cancel a call because I have a sick child or not that this has ever been a problem, but it's almost more for me to know that they know that hmm exactly you know? and so that like I don't have to worry or feel bad or feel unprofessional because mm-hmm. I you know am yeah like I also yeah have small kids and oh no I'm pulling out of a call and now they're gonna like be mad at me or whatever but like if they mm-hmm. have that expectation from the beginning and we go into this with that kind of a social contract and legal contract to some degree, you know, like, um, then like they understand that, or, you know, this is what it's like to me for me around. Yeah. Obviously family, but also like, I don't, um, respond to email in the evenings or the weekends, or I am like pretty casual. I will probably, you know, like I care about your personal life. I don't know. Like that's not, I don't really know if I want to say that, but just creating some sort of like expectation. This is me. This is how I am going to operate in this relationship. And let's like establish that so that there's no, you know, Mm. because so many times, I I, I don't know if this like translates to marriage too, but like, especially in, in work relationships and in the kind of professional relationships Ariel and I have, we were kind of just talking about this before we got on the call about this one particular editor who we both really like, but at the beginning of the relationship, there kind of feels this like, "Eh, eh, what are you and can I you know what I mean and like if there was like some sort of like hey this is me and these are my priorities and these are my values and how I live and and that carries over into how I operate and work I don't know like wouldn't that be great yes oh my gosh yes because we want to be vulnerable but you also want those people that you're working with and agreeing with to share who they are you bring up such a good point there not that we want to just like dump all kinds of personal information on people, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I take vacations. I have kids. I, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, that's something that, um, gets missed a lot is the very special relationship that can exist between authors and editors and authors and agents and stuff. And, Mm -hmm. and part of it, you know, you really do have to kind of be open and vulnerable and just kind of, uh, set the stage from the beginning. But I think, you know, some of the best relationships that I've had in my career have been with authors, um, that I've worked with. And that's been such a, you know, beautiful part of why I've stuck around and why I stayed at my last job for so long and, you know, been able to take those relationships with me even after I left that publishing company. And, you know, it really is, um, it's a relationship business for sure. Yeah, totally. And, and I think people, I mean, this might be obvious, but I think people 
don't know until you really get in it. Even if you're writing a book about your expertise or your professional life, like you do and like Ariel and I are doing, it's still very vulnerable and feels very personal because you care, you know? And so like when there's editors and agents and other people involved, even though it's work, like you Mm -hmm. still, it's still vulnerable, vulnerable. You still feel like you really Mm -hmm. get to know people or you want to know people, especially like in the ghostwriting relationship, you're writing on behalf of somebody else. So you get to be very, just feel so they become so dear to you and you feel so like defensive of them. And like, you know what I mean? Like, because you, you just take on, I don't know. It's just weird. It's kind of a, it's great, but it's, it's a, it's a different kind of unique, um, relationship because creativity can be so personal. Wow. That is just beautiful. You guys make me want to like share things to have you ghost, right? I just want to be close to you. And I have a hard time with that as a seven because I don't like vulnerability that much. And so it is such a beautiful thing to hear you even just sharing that with the listeners and with me. I think we're all so touched by that, that there is that potential and capacity. And sometimes we just feel like we're not supposed to, I'm just supposed to be this joyful light seven and not bring my heart into the project. And honestly, my, my experience has been where I have brought my heart in and it was very hard to do that. Um, but very rewarding. So I, I really want to echo that with you guys too, as well as learn from you. Yeah. Well, and I think, um, you know, especially as writing from a place of this is my expertise. I think Mm -hmm. I also see some authors feeling like, oh, I have to, I have to be the expert. And so I can't, you know, show people that I'm also very human. Mm -hmm. And I often, you know, I'm counseling authors like, no, share some of your personal stories, like bring Mm -hmm. your personality into this because people want, you know, your readers want to connect with you. And Krista, mm-hmm. you have some vulnerable moments in the book too, because I've been reading an advanced copy yes. <laughs> and it's wonderful oh, and you. you do that really well. And I remember in, you know, a meeting that we had, you said that was part of that was kind of on the prompting of your editor who mm-hmm. said like, Hey, I need, I need more of you. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm also curious, you know, kind of what has that process been like of, you know, responding to like your editor's. Uh, comments and recommendations and feedback. Like what has that been like as a seven? It's been really hard, um, really good. But I chose Stephanie Duncan Smith, who I know you guys had on your pod. Uh, I love her so much. And yeah. she, I chose her and I hope she chose me for the same reason that I thought we would have something to gift each other with. And I felt like as a type four on the Enneagram, she would help me to delve into the most difficult heart spaces. And I said, I need this. This is what is missing in my work. And I am so glad I went for that with her, but it was also more painful than I would have expected because all those works I told you about that I had done before were very systems oriented. I'm a family systems therapist turned coach. I love that. I remember the first day I did cognitive behavioral therapy. It's all mind stuff versus the heart. And my uh, professor was like, I have no corrections for you. You're literally perfect at this. But he was, that was his field. And then when I would enter the heart space fields, which I knew would be more relevant to couples work, I was a novice. You know, I had to learn those from the ground up and it's really still something I'm learning. And so I think as writers, we're still human. We're still in the real. And I was able to do that so easily with my podcast because I could yank it if I was too vulnerable. I could edit it out. But handing a project over, getting a stamp of it's getting multiple copies all over the world that you can't pull back (laughs) 
that was daunting when my story is out there and it's not in my domain anymore. And so I had to really think through which stories was I okay with sharing. And I will be honest, there was one story that I wasn't able to share because Wes said I could share it. He's a type one. He was being really perfectionistic and critical of me. He said, go ahead and throw me under the bus. Anyone can learn from my story. I want them to. And I was so touched by it. I wrote the story. It was very painful. And he's still a type one. It's not like he's no longer a type one and never gets critical. And so then I had to walk through him still doing that on occasion. And I was like, oh, this sucks. This is on paper and in my life. Should have written fiction. Um, And then Stephanie just sat with it as fours tend to do. If anyone knows Enneagram fours, they need time. And she was sitting and sitting and sitting with it for, for me, uh, a minute feels like an hour. So I felt like she was sitting with it for months, but it really was much shorter than that. And I just finally said, I don't think this is the story. And she was like, me either. (laughs) So we pulled it. Yeah. We put in a story about me. And I love the story that landed. And it was almost like, I think what we are all kind of agreeing is your, your story is yours to tell. And that would have been better on a book about Wes and his journey through trauma as a child and having to be the parentified child through a series of addictive parent behaviors and, and kind of figuring out how to not be so controlling and uh, rigid. And, and my story is more about how do you not take your family on dangerous adventures? How do you pull back when you're overwhelming them as a seven. And so we really found a story that was my story and our story as a couple, and it was such a better fit. So that way, if Wes is still Wes on the hard days, I don't have to see it in my book as much, if that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Because yeah, like you said, kind of once that writing is out there, like there's no pulling it back. It's just going to live to either haunt you or, <laughs> or make you proud. <laughs> yeah. And he was so sweet. He's like, go ahead. And he's like, I'm still in process. And I'm like, actually, no. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, and the, one of the crazy things about writing from and about your expertise, which we do, and we encourage other people to do all the time, because like you, it's like the easiest, like if you want to write many books, it's often yeah. the easiest place to start in that it's your easiest yes. You probably already have a lot of material. You're already known for it probably to some degree. But what you don't know until you start doing it, and I actually, I'm experiencing it in real life now, but I I actually learned it for the first time with a client um, in the spring, is though because it's your expertise, you're like hyper Mm. nervous about like, getting something wrong or like having it out there like because you're like I'm supposed to be the expert on this so yeah. you know what I mean it's like extra oh, there's yeah. some extra layer of mm-hmm. just I don't know yeah I don't know if it's like vulnerability but but vulnerability in terms of I'm doing something that's going to be like out there forever. And if it's wrong, or if someone else thinks it's wrong, or it's proven wrong, or I forget something, or I don't say it in exactly the right way, and I'm supposed to be the expert on it. Well, there it is forever Mm -hmm. immortalized, like on the page, you know what I mean? Like it just, the stakes feel higher is my point. Yeah. And there's a higher level of accountability. Yes. It feels like, yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You guys nailed it. That's exactly what it is. And I love that you're learning this as you go. And then now you're on the other side of it as writers yourselves, finally doing your work. I heard Ariel say that before, like I was always kind of doing for others. And it's like nice that you can be on both sides, but it's also hard to be on both sides. Right. Yeah. 
Yes. Yeah. Like yes. I, I worked with a client who's a literary agent, uh, like the client I was ghosting for the literary agent and um, her own book about being a literary agent, like same oh, idea. Wow. It was a, it's about wow. uh, her yeah. expertise. Yeah. And she, she was just having a really hard week and being um, just waffling between things and but also being like micromanaging things and having a hard time to make making decisions. And anyway, eventually she just like admitted to me, she's like, I'm a literary agent. All my literary agent friends are going to read this. Like I am supposed yeah. to be the expert. I am supposed to know everything. Like what if yeah. I say something and they're like, well, that's not right. Or that's not true. You know what I mean? Like what if like our right expert writer friends or our clients read it and they're like, well, that didn't work for me or that's not right. Oh, yeah. Know, whatever. Maybe. You just think so many things. Yeah. It's, so true. And humans are never an exact science. And we all know that there's going to be critics. And I mean, I'm a huge, huge Tolkien fan and I'm reading um, his 350 letters right now. And he's talking about uh, himself and his best friend at the time, C.S. Lewis. And they were some of the biggest names in at Oxford at the time of writing, and they were critiquing each other and they were throwing each other under the bus. And it was in love, but it was to sharpen one another, make each other better. We all know that's great and still hard, but yet we also know there's critics out there who will throw you under the bus just to do it or just to be the expert, the smarter one. I have that happen on my Instagram page all the time. Sometimes I let that stay. Most of the time I do, and I challenge it with my eight wing. Some Sometimes I just say, done, you're done, toast. I'm trashing this. Um, I know type threes who will just be like, everything's gone. That's not singing my praise. Um, but And I don't blame them because they're like, hey, I worked really hard to have this page. You're not going to share that. Um, but I also know when I have my critiques come out for my book, I won't have that option to <laughs> toss it if I want it. I couldn't leave it out and then even write back and say, great point you made. Here's something I've learned since writing this book. And it's like, we may be able to do that in a few spaces. Goodreads, for example, has that option. Um, but most of the time, you know, this is a harder part of writing. And that's why I said, and I think you guys have said a lot really well on the show, you have to love it. You have to do it for the love of the game. You have to be willing to say, I'm not perfect. I'm flawed. I'm glad you found out, but I already knew that. And I'm still valuable. I still have something to share. And that's really where you have to land with it. Oh, I love that. Yeah. That's really beautiful. Thank you. Oh, thank you guys. So one more thing I want to ask you about, and that is your book launch process. So as of the time of this episode coming out, you know, your book is publishing tomorrow and I've been part of your book launch team, I think from the beginning <laughs> and yeah. Yeah, um, the very just, beginning, technically. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> um, but it's been, I've been so impressed just to see, um, and you, and you and I did not talk about book launch you know, stuff mm -hmm. at all before. And so mm -hmm. I've just been, you know, receiving all the stuff that you've been doing and, and just kind of observing all of your plans. And, you know, I get your weekly emails to your book launch team. And so how did you go about, um, you know, kind of planning the book launch process? Because I think you are doing it so, so well. Thank you so much. I did my research. I love that five space uh, that you live in a lot, Liz, of the researcher. And so I wanted to know how people- It's not so great. <laughs> I promise. It's, it's got its downfalls. Yeah. You're like living there all the time is not easy. <laughs> um, well, I know you're becoming more expansive with me. So 
going to encourage you, but I definitely loved to research. And then I had to dig out of the research, get myself into action. And I think as a woman, we have four week cycles, obviously. So I have to really move when I have energy. And sometimes I will batch and write a series of emails all at once and put myself in the shoes of that. Um, I also have a team around me um, and I'm a part-time worker. I don't work full-time. So I have to be thoughtful about who I bring onto my team and um, also what can I give out that's free so that I don't burst into my husband's uh, you know, pocket for like, I'm here, he's making money and I'm just losing money. I have to be able to be as much as possible, able to also help the family. And I have things I have to pay for, for my kids. So, you know, that's a very real thought about writing and launching is how are you going to fund this baby? Um, and so I've been able to really just try to, you know, work when I have energy, produce what I can not produce what I don't have, uh, ask people to be on my team who I know understand that and can give grace and don't care about a typo here or there. It's, it's like people that let you be human are wonderful people to ask onto your launch team. And I also enjoyed learning from Amy Porterfield. She's a type three who recently had a book out last year. Everybody probably knows her name. Uh, I had been following her podcast and course materials for almost a decade. So just fun that she had done a book just before me. So some of the things she was doing, um, I talked to my agent about, and he said, that's not relevant for you. You're not Amy Porterfield with billions of followers, you know? And I was like, I love how he's very real. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, good point. <laughs> so I just kind of curated my small group of friends and also the people that have been on my podcast, you know, who in my media area, and I think everyone's probably looking around thinking of that now, like who would vouch for me? And for me, most of it's online. Um, but I also am having a small party locally with about 10 friends who are supporting me. And the last thing I'll say about that is it was a little tough when somebody was a bit critical toward me about that, just to say like, oh, like, why aren't you having this big fancy shindig? And I was like, you know what? Like, I'm be real with you. Like, I'm a mom who is trying to just be there for my kids. And like, I have nothing to prove. Like, I know you wish that I would have a huge shindig so you could come and jazz it up and live your best life and show everybody that you're classy. But like, I already know I'm classy. Like, I don't have to prove anything to anyone. So I'm going to hang out with my 10 girlfriends and I'm going to have an online lunch, lunch party and whoever comes, comes whoever doesn't, doesn't like that's the way it is. So I also had to put on that eight personality for a little while there just to be like, Hey, you know, like I'm not going to do something foolish just in order to look good. But if I can get some fun pictures at that party, yes, I hope they look good on Instagram. I hope I can make them look like the wine stem glass. Um, but I'm not going to pay billions of dollars to do what Amy Porterfield did, nor could I, if that makes sense. Oh, totally. Yeah. And I, I think that's a good story too, of just how we can tap into the other numbers of the Enneagram mm -hmm. and kind of draw from their strengths yes. when we need to. And, you know, we, we, this is not the time or space to get into the wings and your, <laughs> right. you know, arrows and everything <laughs> like that. Yeah. Um, you know, for that, I, I definitely point people to you, but, oh, um, you know, I do think one of the most beautiful things about the Enneagram is that you can kind of lean into these strengths of all of the other numbers. And we all have those things accessible to us at any time, mm -hmm. and as well as being kind of aware of the limitations, um, of our own numbers so that we can say, Hey, I'm in this like negative nine space right now. And maybe yeah. I can lean into my eight space to help me yes. avoid merging or, yes. you know, whatever the case may be. 
Yes. So true. And I love that you brought that back for those who don't know Enneagram. Yes. Just moving around and figuring out what you could maneuver to do if somebody is critical or catches you um, in a bad moment. And thankfully that wasn't my husband. He's like, so just like, this is great. Let's whatever happens, happens. Well, and that's been one of my, what I find helpful, more helpful about the Enneagram than any other personality or trait sort of, you know, inventory test takey kind of thing, you know, Myers-Briggs and the four types of, you know, whatever. Gretchen Rubin has her thing. Yeah. So, but anyway, but the, the, what I like about the Enneagram is that it feels like it actually gives you something to do. Like it, it actually yeah. feels a little more practical instead of just knowing this about yourself, which is great and powerful and probably step number one, but the Enneagram, like Ariel was saying, you know, you can <clears throat> lean into strengths or like, m- like move this direction or move this direction. Or when you notice yourself moving this direction, it means one thing. And that just feels so much more practical and helpful than like, okay, I know I'm introverted. Okay. Not to like, you know, put down the Myers-Briggs. I'm sure that's great, but you know what I mean? It, I, I found, yeah, Enneagram better. Yeah. It does. It's a lot deeper and richer. And yes, you can make it uh, and Myers-Briggs more inclusive as well. But it's this is like you said, if you use it in your writing or this whole process, which we know is so much more than just the writing, it's helpful because you need to put on a lot of different hats, but you also need to know yourself at the end of the day and just be able to say back to yourself when that negative person speaks to you, critic or inner critic, either way, just, you know, I am doing the work that I love and I am helping somebody, even if that somebody is me sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, Krista, where can people find more about you? Where can they connect? Where can they buy the book? All of those questions. Uh, I would say to connect, go to my Instagram page, Enneagram and Marriage. And you can also go to my website by the same name, enneagramandmarriage.com. And to get my book, you can just find it, of course, through those places, but also just on Amazon. I'm sure you're having it in the show uh, links here as well. The Enneagram and Marriage, Your Guide to Thriving Together in Your Unique Pairing. I would love to have you read it. It has my heart in it. It has so many other people's uh, beautiful sharing in it too. We didn't get to talk about that, but when you work with a traditional publisher, there's so many hands going into your book that you just have this confidence at the end of it that you're like, this is good because it was a team effort and that feels great versus this bold sort of lone prideful person, which can have its strengths, but it's like, yeah, there's a lot of people vouching for this. And so, yeah, I feel good about the book and I'm hoping that the listeners can enjoy it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again. This has been such a great conversation and I can't wait to share it. Thank you you guys so much. Thanks for being part of the Hungry Authors community. If you like this episode, could you do us a huge favor? Head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. We would so appreciate it. You can also follow us on Instagram at Hungry Authors or HungryAuthors.com, our website, to get more information about our masterclasses and upcoming episodes. Remember that you have a story and a message worth publishing. And if you've got the hunger, you can make it happen. Mm -hmm.